Hey everyone, this is Ashley Latecki Ellenvoss with Sky House Herb School and Apothecary, and I'm going to move my mic a little closer because um, today my voice is a little raspy. Uh, we've been, we've had a sick house now, I think, for like two weeks. It started off with like a little cold that turned into a flu for one of them. Um, and now I think we have another bug that has come home since I returned from my vacation. Um, so it's been quite the transition back into home life after having a solo journey, um, on my own. It was the first time I've been away from my kids really since they were born. Um, so it was a really nice vacation. I went with some friends to Colombia, South America, um, and I was not sick. No one there was sick. And when I got home, um, both kids and husband were sick and, uh, and now my body is, trying to pull through and take all that vitamin D I soaked in while I was there and uh, is fighting off this thing. So anyway, I wanted to share with you some ideas that I'm working on, and these are going to be called buds of wisdom, and I'm going to be turning them into images and text. So uh, you can look out for these on my Instagram page. If you're not following me, you can hop over to Instagram and find me at Sky House Herbs. It's a picture of my face um, because I do have a Sky House Herbs page that's linked to the old yoga studio. So it's not that one. It's uh, my personal page. And uh, yeah, I, I am really working right now on trying to weave together my work as an herbalist and my passion as a bhakti yoga practitioner. And those of you who've been listening to my channel, you know that, uh, you know, I have a lot of really amazing teachers and there's just uh, the path of bhakti yoga has really opened my heart and has been so supportive for me as a mother, as a woman, as a wife, as a friend. And so I really want to share it with others and, and give others a taste of this wonderful practice that seems kind of esoteric, uh, I think, when you first hear about it, because it's not your classical yoga asana or physical practice. It's a very, um, it's a practice of devotion. So I'm trying to figure how, how to weave this in. And maybe you have this in your life, too, where you've got two things that you really love and you're like, how do I put them together? So that's, that's kind of, I think this year sabbatical for me is how do I put them together? How do I weave together my love of plants and my love of the divine and um, this practice? How do I put them together? So, so this is kind of one of my first, um, <clears throat> actually definitely not my first, um, it's, it's another attempt to try to bring these together. So I wanted to share with you some lessons from plants. And these are lessons that I think help, might help us contextualize some of our own challenges um, and might also give us a sense of hope and um, you know, give us some perspective as to where we are and what amazing opportunities we actually do have. So the lessons from the plants, um, I'm going to go through, I have um, five of these for you. And like I said, I'm going to break these into images and smaller text. So look out for that to come. So the first lesson from plants is that we are not our bodies. 
And I remember when I first learned this, when I started practicing yoga many years ago, this idea that we are a soul, that we are not just these physical forms, um, that our soul incarnates into different bodies and in, in, in the yoga tradition in, on many planets, you know, there's like millions of planets out there where you can incarnate in all of these different physical forms. But I think one, you know, when I look outside, especially here in Minnesota in the winter, and I see the plants in their winter bodies, and they had to go through quite a metamorphosis to attain these bodies. They had to let go of their leaves. They had to change their channels of water and fluid distribution throughout their limbs and their trunks. Some plants even died all the way back down to their roots. So there's absolutely no trace of them above ground. Talk about letting go, you know, everything that's above ground is just gone. Um, and they pull their energy down under the earth into their roots. So this idea of impermanence of the body and this ability for the body to go through cycles and seasons of change, it's quite refreshing because you know, as somebody in a human body who's in her forties, you know, my body's changing. I don't have the same body as I had when I was 10, as when I was 20, as when I was 30, even at 35, you know, my body has changed from 35 to now 42. So, you know, we have these cycles of changing and I know I'm, you know, I'm no stranger. I, I'm, I'm not naive to think that this, this process of the body, um, giving itself away will continue until the body is no longer there. So if I can understand from the plant's perspective that this is a cyclical thing, that I can just let the body do its thing um, and trust that you know, if I am so lucky, I will incarnate again in a human body. That's considered to be the highest gift, um, at least on this planet, is to incarnate as a human because you have conscious will and a lot of resources to help you understand your spiritual nature, to remember that spiritual nature. And, um, you know, eventually you get to inhabit demigod bodies and, you know, there's all sorts of wild things that can happen as you progress on your spiritual path, according to the teachings of bhakti yoga. Um, so I just love that. And I also love the what one of the gifts from plants, which is this idea of giving our bodies to future generations. You know, you think about the trees and when they give their leaves and they drop their leaves, those are actually going to become the compost for the next generation of their own seedlings and maybe their neighbor's seedlings and uh, little sprouts and other plants, you know other plants that are not even related to them, you know, they give to the next generation. And so, you know, in the same way, I can think about my own life and, you know, think about the things that I've created and that I've had to let go of, like my yoga studio. I still have grief for that, you know? So, you know, I gave birth to this great vision and it served its time. And then I, it wasn't serving anymore. So I had to compost it, but I have to trust that whatever was fertilized in that ground um, is going to seed the next generation. And I don't know what's going to, what I'm going to be seeding next. Um, I have some ideas, but I really don't know. So I just have to trust that if I'm doing the work and I'm contributing in the best way I can in any given moment, that I'm creating fertile ground for my children 
and children's children, and maybe for my four-legged children, you know, all of these different species that will walk the the earth um, after me. The second bud of wisdom is this idea of relative age and experience on this planet. And, you know, plants have been around 425 million years longer than humans. So that's a lot. That's a lot of millions of years. And so, you know, if we think about how clumsy it feels sometimes to be a human, you know, it, it can really feel like you know, you're kind of just swimming around in the mud sometimes, like, what am I even doing here? And how do I do this human thing? And plants had had an incredible amount of time to live on planet earth, to adapt to seasonal changes and larger earth changes. And I just feel like that's such a gift. It's such a gift to be like, wow, you've been here and you've seen and experienced. I mean, the, the, one of the oldest tree colonies, I think I want to say is somewhere around like 8,000 to 10,000 years old. So, you know, if there are living beings on this earth that are eight to 10,000 years old, they've seen a lot and they've weathered a lot and they've adapted and endured. And so, you know, if I can have that same adaptability in this human body in this short, maybe hundred years, if I'm lucky on this planet, Um, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. If I can let the wind blow through me, if when the bugs come and, you know, like I've got some, there's some virus in my body as we, as you're listening, just chomping away, you know, I don't know what it's doing in there, but it's trying to get a foothold and, you know, Hey, here I am on, on a planet with lots of viruses. And I just happen to now I'm, I'm a house for this one and not to be so hard on myself. Like I didn't want this, Um, But it doesn't make me, you know, I'm I'm not a bad human because I got a virus, you know, I'm just a human with a virus for now. And uh, this virus will go away and my energy and voice will come back. And so think about all the ways that we're challenged. And if we could have that attitude, like, oh, this is just a moment in time. uh, That's pretty, pretty helpful. The third bud of wisdom is somatic intelligence. And this is the intelligence within our physical bodies, you know, these physical forms that we inhabit. So, you know, for example, plants, um, plants are rooted in the earth. So when something comes to attack it, it can't really move away. It can't like run away. Ah, you know, it, it's kind of stuck where it is. Um, and yet it figures out how to protect and defend itself. And we're very lucky because we're mobile creatures or mobile units, as I like to say. So, you know, when things are really bad, we can move away from them, you know? And and even though I know we all have different circumstances where it might feel like, yeah, easy for you to say, but I can't leave this situation. I can't get out of this place. Um, Well, you can. You might not want to or like to. It might not be easy, but you know what? You actually can. Um, and especially if you have a a path of spiritual practice and faith, if you know in your soul and in the deepest part of yourself that you need to move or you need to step away from something, you you know, if you don't have that faith and that trust, then how are you ever going to know when that support comes out to help you? So we should really take advantage of our mobility, um, because not, not everyone has that 
not everyone has that option. And when I say everyone, I mean uh, every body, and that includes plant bodies. Um, also finding good association. You know, plants like to grow around uh, other plants. They have plant buddies and in compa companion planting, uh, which is a gardening technique, we know that certain plants, especially like garden plants, um, like to grow near each other. Like basil does not like to grow near rue, but basil does like to grow. Um, it does like to grow near um, peppers. It doesn't like to grow near fennel. So they have like preferences of like who they want to associate with. And it's same, you know, that's how a lot of native peoples, especially around here in the Minnesota region, um, came to know, came to be able to find plants as they would look for trees. And they knew that blue vervain grew near certain types of trees and that certain mushrooms grew on certain types of trees. So they knew that association and that partnership of what likes to flock together and grow together. And I think, you know, in, in the practice of, of bhakti yoga, that's one of the, the, the teachings that is so important is right association. And who you surround yourself with um, makes a huge difference on your life. I mean, that was one of the reasons why I created a, a yoga studio is because I was like, you know, I want to create, um, I want to create a circle of people who are like-minded, who are looking for the same things I am, who can teach things that I don't know. And I can have a space for them to come and share what they know. So, um, you know, while that might not be your dharmic path, you can create association by going to places with like-minded people who are interested in higher vibrational things and also limiting your contact with low vibrational things. And for you, that might be certain uh, family groups. It might be workplace associates. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways you can just make subtle shifts in your own body and use plant allies. One of my favorite plant allies for repelling uh, Matthew Wood calls it asshole repellent is agrimony. Agrimony is a wonderful protective herb that you can wear as an amulet. Um, I've used the tincture in a spray bottle and given it to people to spray in their offices. And I'll tell you, I can't tell you, I think there were four people I gave it to who said that that nasty person that would come in their office and just spout out nasty things stopped coming in their office once they started spraying it. So I had a lot of refill orders and then, you know, it, you know, it, I ended up, you know, that was like, there was like a big, I had a big outpouring of, of selling a lot of, of that, but you can make it at home. Just, you know, buy some agrimony tincture or make your own agrimony tincture, add a few, maybe drops of essential oil, and then just uh, spray it in your space and, and watch how it changes the energy. Um, but, you know, rather than just repelling who you don't want, why not be like the plants and, um, you know, just call in who you do want and your roots will grow stronger and you'll be able to support one another. And uh, yeah, I think too, um, this idea of protecting yourself if necessary, you know, plants have tons of phytochemicals that they can produce if they're under attack by insects or, you know, harsher than usual uh, UV rays and things like that. So, you know, how do you protect yourself? And it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you physically have to fight people off, although that might be necessary in a situation. Um, but how do you safeguard your own, your own space, your own resources? How do you say no to things and protect your time? Because time is a very valuable resource here on planet earth. 
And so we want to protect our time by um, saying, yeah, not, not filling our time with things that are really not meaningful. And then ambition. This is my fourth bud of wisdom. Um, and, you know, plants, plants are not perfect. They're not like, you know, there are weeds, there are invasive species that will take over forests and kill off other plants. So it's, it's not like I'm painting them to be these, oh, holy, holy plants that have no problems or no shortcomings. They do. Um, and, you know, I, I do think that one thing that a lot of plants do teach us is, is you know, to take only what you need, that for an ecosystem to really thrive, that there needs to be number one, diversity within that piece of land. And there also needs to be um, a sharing of resources. And so if plants are taking more nutrients than they need and stockpiling them and being greedy and holding them, holding, you know, holding on to them, um, it's going to weaken their neighbors. And then when an attack does come in, they're not going to be well enough to sell that, send that signal to say, Hey, bugs coming in from the East. Right. So, you know, how, how do we just think about our ambitions? Um, and I, as I, as I'm maturing in this human body and have lived on this earth, I'm starting to really think differently about ambition. You know, I think I was very weedy as a young woman. I just had all these dreams and visions and I'm going to build this. I'm going to do this. I want this. I want that. And as I'm getting older and, and having done that, I'm realizing now that uh, that can actually be a very unhealthy way of engaging in the world. So how do we maybe turn the conversation away from what is my ambition? What do I want into what can I give? How can I be of service? And I think about, um, you know, just so many plants and how generous they are and what they do to give to other species and even to their own species. Um, and, you know, we have to remember that invasive plants can, in, they can damage a whole ecosystem. And so we just, we don't want to be invasive plants. We want to be plants that are looking out for one another, um, that, you know, we curb our ambitions so that our lives are sustainable and, um, and that we have enough to, to give, we have enough to really offer rather than burning the candle at both ends. And then, uh, you know, if, if we're, <laughs> you know, if we, if we work too hard and we don't, um, take enough time to rest and do what's replenishing, we'll get sick. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll weaken ourselves and then, you know, we got to work our way back. All right. Now here's my fifth one. Uh, my fifth bud of wisdom is love. And I was thinking about the great Sequoia trees. Um, Radhanath Swami told this great story about when he was, uh, hiking through the redwood forests of California and he overheard one of the uh, trail guides giving a tour. And he said to them, do you know how all of these great redwoods, they don't, you know, how do they stay, how do they grow so tall? How do they get so big? What do you think their roots are like? And everyone's like, oh, they must have very, very deep roots. And he goes, yeah, that's what most people think. They think these redwoods have deep roots because they're so tall, but they actually have very shallow roots. But 
they spread wide and they create this network across the whole bottom of the forest. And so they're all holding on to each other. And so if one plant starts or one tree starts to fall, they all hold on to it. So it's not just relying on its own roots, which limits the growth of other trees. It actually, it actually spreads its roots out to connect with as many other trees as possible so that they can live together and support one another. And I just thought that was so beautiful. Um, another thing about the great redwoods is that um, they feed their babies and they send out, you know, they'll actually feed carbon through or, or yeah, CO2 through their roots. They carb, they followed it with a carbon tracing, but they'll feed carbon dioxide through their roots to their little babies. And if they notice someone else's baby um, is not thriving, then because they're all connected, it will also send, you know, food and nutrients to those other trees so that they can all have a chance to live. And that's, you know, they, they call these the, you know, mother trees. There's, you know, there's specific trees in the redwood forests that are just like generous and they're just all the time uh, giving, giving from themselves and, and sort of redistributing. They're kind of like maybe a, a Peter Pan where they're kind of redistributing, not Peter Pan, um, Robin Hood, they're kind of redistributing the wealth um, amongst the trees that everyone has an equal, equal opportunity. Also this idea of this lesson of love and joy, I think about violets. And when I lived in Maryland, we had this beautiful patch of violets. It actually took up the whole backyard and uh, violets bloom twice. They bloom once to give their seed for procreation and they grew, grow um, and they sprout a second flower just for fun. It doesn't have any reproductive value, but it's kind of like, if you can, why not? Why not give something twice? And so guess who benefits from that? All the pollinators and people and animals um, who nibble on and use them as foraging food benefit from this selfless blooming for fun. So, you know, what if, you know, we took ourselves a little less seriously and of course we have to get all of our work done, pay the bills, do all that stuff. But what if we also just made sure we carved out time for fun, for play, for silliness, for joy? Um, you know, what ripple effect might that bring into the world? Trees also provide, and, and plants also provide shelter. Uh, you know, think about, I have this beautiful tree in my backyard that I love to look at that uh, is still alive, but it's full of holes where woodpeckers have, you know, chipped away for bugs. And in those holes, there's other birds that live and, um, you know, squirrels. And I, there's a huge crow's nest in one of the trees in, in my, in our yard. And uh, I just think of what generous shelter these these trees in particular provide and how, you know, can we do the same thing? You know, right now the war in Ukraine um, is just heartbreaking. And, you know, I don't know, I, I can't provide physical shelter. I'm too far away, um, but I can provide resources and, you know, support organizations that can give shelter to people in need. So, you know, there's ways, we, there's things we can do, even if we feel like, you know, the greatest needs are beyond our, our, our local scope. And even in a local way, I would say, you know, can you create shelters in your yard? Um, you know, bird baths and hummingbird feeders and, you know, um, you know, even little bird houses. Um, there might be ways that you can also create shelter space for the wildlife, um, 
around the land that you live on. And uh, I think, yeah, the last one I was gonna share um, is kind of an overarching theme from the plants, which is just this idea of slow growth. And that small is okay. You know, I know um, uh, Mr. Rogers is, is known, uh, Fred Rogers is known for this beautiful quote where he says, you know, teach your children to be, to not be extraordinary. You know, we have, we don't need more extraordinary people. We need more kind people, uh, generous people, loving people. And so, you know, if I look out and I look across the land where I live and I think of how much time it took for all of these trees to find their little niche, you know, um, and to think about all the, the animals that have created different pathways. We have turkeys that live on our land and I hear them every morning when I take the dogs out and, you know, they, they, they have pathways, but they've came from generations of exploration. And as houses get built and roads are constructed, they have to adjust them, but there's no rush, you know, they don't, you know, Google search best route to, you know, X farm. They just take their time. There's sort of a natural order and a, and a natural way that they find their way to it, what it is they need. So I think if we can all just take it a little bit easy and go a little bit slower, think a little smaller, you know, instead of trying to create these huge 10 year plans, what's it plan for today? How do I create more peace and ease today? How do I reach out to those who I love, who maybe I haven't spoken to in a while and just plant a little seed of compassion, you know, in their little garden beds, you know, things can be more simple than I think we often realize. And, uh, you know, spending time in nature really grants us that perspective back. So I hope this was an interesting listen for you and I'd love to hear your comments and, uh, ways that you might connect with nature. If there's anything that you heard me say that really resonated, um, that you want to share back with me or with other listeners. I always love when I see your comments. So thank you all for watching, for listening, and, um, I will see you all again soon.